This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, we're joined by Scott Bush, the CEO for the Society of American Baseball Research, or SABRE, who talks some analytics, describes what SABRE is, shares some stories from his time in Stockton, and much more. Hey, Ports fans, be the first one of your friends to bring home a Sugar Skull Caballos bobblehead. In celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, a limited number of these bobbleheads, which will be a giveaway at Banner Island Ballpark in 2021, are now available at the Dock Shop. Just a limited number will be sold before next season, so act now. Visit the Dock Shop at ports.milbstore.com. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. Uh, Scott Bush used to work for the Stockton Ports. He's now the CEO over at uh, Sabre. That's S-A-B-R.com. Uh, for those of you who are unaware of it, they do you do quite a bit there, Scott, and I, we're, we're going to get into that, but... Uh, Man, right after this, you, you've got a day with Game 5. I mean, I guess we both have a day with Game 5 here between the Yankees and the Rays. Uh, first of all, how are you? And, how, you know, clearly you've been following baseball, but but how has 2020 treated you so far? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right, and I appreciate that. And, uh, and yeah, how about that? We've got only one Game 5. That's ridiculous. Um, and, and I'll give you one super small correction, Sabre.org. Uh, and, you know, most people would have found it anyway, but, but, uh, but all good. <laughs> All good, but uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been a fascinating year for baseball, uh, one that we will not soon forget, and one that I don't think we will stop writing the history of for quite some time. Um, a really really remarkable year in, in in really every every way imaginable. When do you think you first got the sense that that baseball in twenty twenty was going to happen, and what did you think of the the sixty game schedule that the two sides agreed upon? Yeah, I. I Sometime in June, you know, you were hearing really sincere rumblings. Um, and the 60-game schedule, um, I, I don't think anyone feels like 60 games is the right length for uh, a baseball season. But I do think that we need, to, um, we need to start confronting how modern baseball is played and make a decision on whether we want to change how the game is played or if we want to take a look at the schedule in some ways, um, you know, but, but there were other changes this year that I thought were fascinating that we've seen in minor league baseball for a very long time. So, so you, you have seen this before I've seen this before, but for a lot of other observers, you know, seen a seven inning double header, totally new, um, no, no uh, pitchers hitting anywhere uh, new for everybody in the national league runners on second base and extra innings totally new for people watching uh, Major League Baseball. But for us minor league folks, uh, you know, we're accustomed to it. And, uh, and you know, honestly, I love seven-inning doubleheaders. Um, really? I, I, yeah. Pers- personally, uh, I really enjoy that. And I, I think if you have to schedule a doubleheader, I, I, feel like, uh, I feel like that's a good accommodation to make. And, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how many of these changes maybe are uh, something that Major League Baseball would like to make permanent. What like if you were to rank? Uh, I guess give me your 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 top three, if you will, the changes that were made here for 2020 that you think that Major League Baseball will make permanently. I, I think I think DH is going to be permanent. I yeah. I don't 
I don't think that we're going to ask pitchers to hit anymore. Um, I also think the seven inning double header is probably uh, here to stay. Um, I I don't expect uh, I don't expect the, the runner on second to remain. Um, I don't obviously don't expect the season to be this short in the future. Um, and uh, you know I I do think that the three uh, the three batter minimum is probably something that will uh, will stick around as well. Which that change in the first place didn't really have to do with. Um, the strange season. Yeah. Um, so I guess if we're going to stick with three changes that were specific to this year, the other one I could see is expanded rosters. Um, you know, and I, I do think that there's an interest uh, both by major league baseball and the players association to, you know, play around with a 26 to 28 man roster uh, full time. When it comes to that extra inning rule, and I think you bring up an interesting point because like I've kind of come around on the notion that like we don't we don't need eighteen inning games anymore, right? So can you see a world in which you know maybe there's a modified version of the rule that has been in the minor leagues for the last couple of years and the one they've done this year with this runner on second base? Maybe you put a runner on second base starting in the twelfth inning, thirteenth inning, uh, because I think probably everyone's on the same page, right, with the fact that we don't need to be playing 19 innings, 18, 19 innings anymore. Do you think you can see something like that maybe going yeah. forward? Yeah, that, that I could see, it. A, a modified version where it's at a, at a certain inning. Definitely, definitely. It makes, it makes a ton of sense. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. I think it makes too much sense, right? And honestly, I thought I would hate it, Scott, the, the runner on second base in the 10th inning. And I still, I still would rather see a couple of extra innings played out normally but I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. The only thing that I would say, and I'd love to, to hear your, your thought on this, is it does give a little bit of an advantage to the visiting team, uh, putting a runner on second base. You know, if it, Take the A's, for example. right? If you've got a dominant closer and you're on the road and you, know, you, you move them over, move them in, in the top of the 10th inning, well, then you've got a guy, you know, a dominant closer coming in, and it may be a little tougher to shuffle your pitching staff, your bullpen, if you're the home team. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, the the thing, the other thing I would add is it does take away a little bit um, strategically. It it, it, get, it can get pretty formulaic uh, because what you what you end up seeing a lot of times is, all right, we're gonna we're gonna play the sacrifice bump game. So now we've got a runner on third uh, and one out. We also have an open base at first. So now, depending on what the lineup situation looks like a lot of times you're going to get the intentional walk so now we're, we've occupied first base we set up the double play and so at that point you're you're playing for the double play in the infield um with the outfield in obviously uh trying to trying to prevent sacrifice fly from scoring the run uh or you're trying to strike the guy out right and and the the options the options uh strategically change pretty quickly most teams um who most of the time the road team is playing for one run. And if, if the road team does not score, um, well, then what is the home team doing? They're, they're doing the same thing. Um, well, in an extra inning, the home team's playing for one run anyway, so not a lot changes. But what changes is you've got the guy out on second. So, you know, I, I don't like it a ton just because it immediately narrows down uh, what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's one tool at their disposal to, uh, to try to combat the potential for an 18 inning game. No doubt. Yeah. Shorten the game. I mean, it kind of feels like that's maybe part of the reason with the younger generation that baseball 
is, you know, falling behind in popularity a little bit. I mean, you just don't know, I guess, when, you know, we can talk about attention spans and get into that all we want, right? Like, you know, with a basketball game, you know you're going to be there for two hours pretty much. I think I love the fact that with a baseball game, you get something different every single day. Right. Uh, I think it's a great spectator sport, obviously, or else I wouldn't be working in baseball, you know. Right. Uh, but anyway, I anyway, like I said, we, you know, we can go back and forth on the right ways to to kind of draw on that younger audience. If you're baseball, I happen to think that having young and exciting teams around like the Padres and the Dodgers and some of these other teams, that'll do the trick. Right. I mean, you don't have to change too much. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. I agree. What do, what do you think of the expanded playoffs? I mean, to me, it makes sense during a 60-game season. In 162 games, would you add teams to the playoff field? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it, actually. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of the expanded playoff field, and I, I probably should have used that as, as one of my three. Uh, but but I, I love it for, a couple, for one really primary reason, which is there are a number of markets that have not – from a fan base perspective, let's, let's set, let's set um, ownership and payroll completely to the side. Um, there are a number of markets that have not felt what it means to have a team competing in October for quite a while. Um, and the repercussions of that for the market and for the franchise uh, are meaningful. You know, hope is an addictive drug. And it is good for baseball to have as many markets as possible to have hope. Um, you know, and, and in particular, some of the things that we're seeing um, with teams that we know are going to have staying power. Um, you look at the National League West, everyone is miles behind the Dodgers. And candidly, they're going to be for a long time. Um, you know, the Dodgers have invested in all areas of the organization, not simply uh, at the big league level. Uh, and similarly, the, the American League East, you know, yeah, the, the Rays won the division this year. Um, they're a great team. Uh, I think everyone should expect that the Yankees are going to be at or near the top of that division every year for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what does that do? to some of the other markets in those divisions and what does it mean to their to their ability to be relevant in their in their community right so um you know and and what we saw this year you know the giants pretty mediocre team uh almost made the playoffs this year um you know and you look at you, you flip the switch over the american league east the blue jays did um young up-and-coming team a lot a lot to be positive about and they can roll into next spring and say, look, we, we expect to be competing for a playoff spot, um, just like we did last year. Um, and that's, that's a powerful thing. It, it keeps baseball relevant in those markets for the long term. And so for that reason, I think it's, I think it's really great. That is such a great point. I, I didn't even think about that. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of the math, like, you know, is it really fair after 150, 162 games to allow more than half the teams uh, to, to make the postseason? But if we're talking about growing the sport, uh, I mean, you said it. We've I've seen it here in the Bay Area with the Giants over the last ten years. You know, the Giants win three World Series in in five years, and all of a sudden they're just about as popular as the Warriors were when the Warriors were going to the NBA Finals every single year. So right. that that's a that's such a great point. I mean, you want to talk about growing the game? 
I mean, nothing really invigorates a fan base like winning and having a chance. Right. Right. Exactly. 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 Uh, and, and so for that, you know, I just feel like, I feel like that it, it has a positive net effect on the game. I really do. Yeah. I mean, look at Look at a franchise like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right. I mean, we talked about the NOS. We talked about uh, the AL East, which are two great examples. But, you know, in the, in the Central, in the NL Central, you've got two premier franchises in the sport that are probably going to be in contention more years than not. And the Pirates, uh, who have had, what was it, 20 straight seasons where they didn't even reach 500 not too long ago uh, before, you know, the Andrew McCutcheon years and everything like that. Right. It's a good way to let baseball die right. in the market. Well, and Pittsburgh – one playoff appearance, um, their most recent was a one-game wildcard playoff, which they got to play at home, and they completely sold out. Yeah. Um, you know, they made, it, they made it a huge event. They had as great of a home field advantage as you could possibly have. They still lost. Uh, but it was, it was a great thing for the city of Pittsburgh to, to have that game, to have that happen, to have that moment. Right. Um, and, and those are the sorts of things that I think in – New York at Major League Baseball's offices, I think those are the things that they're thinking about. Um, now, does it mean that we're going to crown uh, the best team every year as a World Series champion? No. And it, and it in fact, increases the likelihood that we will not. Uh, but I, I would argue that from the time that we expanded to two divisions uh, in each league and, and we're sending four teams total to the playoffs, we already had achieved that. Yeah. Um, so... So, I, you know, I feel like expansion at this stage makes a ton of sense. So, in that scenario, do you clip back, do you clip down the regular season? Do you scale back from 162 games? Yeah, I mean, I would personally. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's opportunity for that. I, I think you could go back to, you know, a, a 144, which, um, you know, baseball used to play. And if you and if you feel like you want to come back even further from that, you you could, um, you know. I, but I think, I think there's there's a viable way to make that happen. Yeah, all great points. And like like I said, I hadn't thought of that. We're talking to Scott Bush. Uh, he's the CEO of of Saber Saber.org. Uh, Scott right. Saber.com. Don't go to sabr.com. Check it out. <laughs> sabr.org. Uh, so. Now, Scott, you, the way we made this connection here is uh, you used to work for the Stockton Ports. I did. Uh, you, know, you know the president, Pat Philippone, obviously. So uh, yeah. tell me about your role with the Ports, how, how you came on, and uh, a little bit about your time in Stockton. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I came to Stockton from Fresno, uh, where Pat had been as well. Um, and I spent, uh, I spent one season in Stockton, uh, a total of uh, – well, I want to say, I think exactly one, one, uh, now I'm trying to, trying to retrace some steps here. Uh, I think 15 months in, uh, in Stockton in total, one season, uh, but had the, the great fortune. I was director of special events at the time and Stockton played host to the 2007 California league, Carolina league all-star game. Uh, and so that was, that was my primary role and responsibility for the year. Uh, was to put on that event along with uh, I actually oversaw all of our all of the on-field stuff uh, for that season as well. So uh, if you hated the game experience and game entertainment in 2007, it was my fault. It was my bad. 
Hey, you're a Minnesota guy too, right? Just like our guy Luke Johnson, who's the GM at uh, with the Ports right now. Yeah, uh, originally originally from Minnesota, um, and uh, and working out in California in minor league baseball was first first jobs out of school, and from uh, from Stockton, I went back went back to Minnesota and uh, and worked for uh, worked for the St. Paul Saints for quite a while. The St. Paul Saints, who it's rumored, and we don't know anything for sure yet, but it's rumored that may be an affiliated uh, club at some point down the line, maybe even yeah. as soon as next year. You never know. Yeah, we had uh, we had the, the great opportunity there to build a new ballpark uh, yeah. that opened in, in 2015, and, and uh, I have a very biased opinion, uh, but it's it's one of the best minor league ballparks you, uh, you'll find anywhere. So I think, I think that that market and that – facility would be of great interest to major league baseball what what are some of the you know some of the highlights of going through that process opening a new ballpark and and uh kind of being on the forefront and being you know uh in the back rooms if you will of of the entire process of going from uh, an old ballpark to a new ballpark what's that like so the best part of the entire thing is your first opening day um, because you have all of these plans and you have these ideas on both how it's going to work operationally, but more than anything, you know, you, you spend so much time thinking about what the fan experience is going to be. How, how are people going to use this building, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you literally can't know until you put them in it for the very first time. And so opening day absolutely is overwhelming um both both mentally because you've got everything else um everything else that goes along with ramping into an opening day for a minor league baseball team but then you throw on top of that the fact that you just you just don't know how it's going to go you don't know how it's going to work and and the emotional impact of like seeing that happen for the first time um, it's overwhelming to be honest. I mean, it's, it's really something, um, aside from opening day, uh, the best part for me was getting to take, uh, the hard hat tour for the first time because you've got the shell, yeah. right? So everything existed as a blueprint and you've, you've seen things along the way, but obviously you're not on the site every day. At least in our, our case, we weren't because we physically moved. It wasn't, it wasn't a rebuild on the same site. And so you get that hard hat tour for the first time and you see the shell and, and it's real. Like it's for the first time, like it's tangible and like this is, this is a thing that's going to happen and we're going to be here and all that stuff. Um, that, that was really the, the other highlight in the process was that first hard hat tour. And the, the really great thing was we got to repeat that and bring others with us. So we got in the habit of, of doing a lot of tours with clients and season ticket holders and, and folks like that. And uh, getting, getting them into the building and seeing it for the first time in that same way was also very fun. I can only imagine. I mean, you see pictures of it, right? You see pictures of people walking through with the hard hats on. And, but to see it actually come to life, I, yeah. mean, I, I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, it's, it's really great. And it really, really was uh, a, a once in a career sort of opportunity. How about putting together the All-Star Game? The Ports were supposed to host the Cal League All-Star Game in 2020 for the first time uh, since I think it was 07, right? Yeah, um, yeah. 
what was that like putting that event? Cause I know there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes and people yeah. realize. So what, yeah. what was that like and how did it come? And at the time, you know, honestly, the biggest, the biggest challenge is probably the travel. Um, the getting the, the players from the Cal league to Stockton, not, not all that difficult. The Carolina league um, is, is a totally different story. Cause obviously you have to fly them across country, but the other part is they're at various locations throughout the league to start with. Uh, and then when they come back, they're also getting sent to various points throughout the league. Uh, and so in many cases, the airport that you would be flying them out of to get to Stockton um, was a different airport than you would fly them back to. Uh, and coming up with how to make all that happen was, uh, was a very unique challenge. Um, you know, but other than that, you know, the, the big thing with putting on an all-star game is you want to make sure that your local market um, has a lot of pride in what you put on, right? Um, and, and making them feel as if, A, um, the community that they live in is important enough to get to host a, a marquee event like that. And then two, make it special so that they feel like their, their community represented well on a really, in that instance, what's a national stage, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so coming up with all of those moving parts that are gonna make it memorable, make it special, make it, make it feel like it's a really unique thing, um, that, that's really what drives the thinking behind those events. That's so cool. And you, you know, uh, and, and you can tell me if I'm off base here or not, I think I know what you're gonna say, but um, this being my first year with Stockton, it just seems like the community has such, such a, a kind of a deep-seated pride for the, the franchise because the ports have been there for so long. And it just feels like such a great baseball town that, I mean, do you feel that? Did you, did you feel that when you were in Stockton just in terms of the fan base and, and how far back the ports go in, in Stockton? Yeah, yeah. And how far and back it, baseball, I guess, goes in Stockton. Right, and, and you, feel, you feel that Stockton is a baseball town, right? Like that's a, that's a very obvious – uh, feeling throughout Stockton. No doubt. Um, I happened to miss um, Dallas Braden pitched for the ports, I believe the year before I was there. I, I can't remember for sure. Um, but the stories that the staff had from his starts and like just how behind him the entire city was um, is, is a really special thing. Um, you know, and, and Dallas isn't the only big leaguer to, to come from Stockton, but um, you know, the rare opportunity to pitch in his hometown as he was, as he was coming up is, is a really cool thing. And, um, you know, the, the way that they supported him was really reflective of how much the city of Stockton embraces baseball. Yeah, so much civic pride you get to feel. And I grew up in Oakland. It's kind of the same thing here um, where there's just, there's a lot of civic pride, but you really get that feeling from Dallas. And by the way, if you're listening to this right now, do not worry. We are efforting Dallas Braden for this podcast. Uh, so that is in the works. I mean, come on, it's got to happen. He hasn't turned anything down like that. Come on. I'm just gotta, oh, no, no, he's, he's, he's agreed to be on it. Like he's okay, he's great. Talk to Pat. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> we just haven't connected yet. So okay, you know, good, good. I think he's been kind of busy with the A's. Scott, yes. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we, we have, I have a message out to him. We, we're just waiting to connect right there. Good. Excellent. Uh, but I, I read an article on MLB.com where Dallas Braden said the most prideful moment of his career, this is a guy threw a perfect game in the major leagues, was taking the mound for the first time at Banner Island Ballpark. I mean, that's, that's, awesome. just, that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's so cool. That is so cool. 
Yeah, un- unreal. And and you just missed the the last title, by the way, by a year, right? I the, did. The la- I did. Won for last I did. Believe away. believe me, I got some texts uh, the <laughs> yeah. night the night that they won. Um, yeah, Chris, Chris Carter was on that team, right? He was. He hit thirty seven home runs, I believe. Which, I, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, is still a Cali record or Ports record. I think it's a Ports record. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got, somebody I that played Lancaster probably. I got a few texts that night, and then I got a couple texts uh, when the rings came in. Oh, <laughs> did, you, did you get a picture? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any rings from any other stops? Uh, so I, I have uh, a lot of near misses, uh, and so I, I do not have a ring. But we had um, the closest I ever came. I was an intern in St. Paul in 2004, and we won. Uh, obviously, interns were, are not on the list uh, to get a, to get a ring. Um, and St. Paul had a drought <clears throat> from 2004 until 2019, uh, and uh, 2017. Uh, no, 2018 was my last year associated with the organization. Oh my gosh! Uh, so so I'm, <laughs> I'm so I missed I missed in Stockton by a year. And I missed in St. Paul by a year as well. <laughs> yeah, it's like as soon as you leave, I mean, I, 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 know, I know, right? I know, I know. Who knows what great things await Sabre? Uh, when, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, feel free to come back to Stockton anytime, even if it's just a part-time gig while you're still working and then, at Sabre. And then take off. A year off. after you yeah. leave. Yeah, come back for like four <laughs> games. You're, and then maybe after you leave. Uh, the ports will end the, the, which is now actually, Scott, the league's longest title drought. You come on, no way. Well, there's only eight teams in the Cowboys. Sure, so, sure. Wow. Uh, so, so there you go. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. Hey, so for, for those who don't know, uh, what exactly is Sabre? People have heard of Sabre metrics, obviously. Is there a line, you know, is, is there a relationship between the two? I guess before we get to that, just the nuts and bolts of. Yeah, of yeah, I'll, give you, I'll give, you the, give you the big overview. So um, Sabre is a nonprofit that has dedicated itself to furthering the understanding of the game of baseball through research. Um, hmm. And so what, what does that mean? Uh, well, I'll tell I'll tell you what it's become. Uh, we are we are a membership organization. Uh, we have more than sixty two hundred members uh, in eighty chap eighty plus chapters worldwide. Uh, we have we have several uh, overseas: uh, Japan, South Korea, uh, the UK, uh, and and a couple of others. Um, and our members uh, really are baseball nuts who just love learning more about the game. Uh, and so, you know, within that, we, I mentioned the chapter structure. We also have 32 different research committees. Uh, those committees research anything and everything inside the game of baseball that you can think of. So we have a statistical analysis committee. We have a dead ball era committee. We have a Negro Leagues committee. We have a women in baseball committee. Uh, we have business of baseball, minor league committee, uh, again, you name it, we've got a group uh, wow. who's interested in it, and, and they're trying to gather more people to uh, be part of what they're trying to, uh, what they're looking to research um, on a project basis. Um, but more than that, I'd say the chapter structure creates um, 
really a great social atmosphere. Um, you know, so yeah, we have 6,200 members. I, I think it's fair to say we don't have 6,200 researchers. Uh, so, so for the most part, we're, we're a membership organization that enjoys the fellowship of baseball, uh, yeah. is, is the best way uh, to describe our group. And within that, we've got some subject matter experts who enjoy sharing what they've learned uh, with other members. Um, and that, that more than anything is, is what makes Sabre unique, is that we have, we have people who get together to talk baseball. And within that, we've got, we've got some high profile folks, we've got some experts, and they don't treat members as less than them. They treat members as another member uh, and, and they love sharing the things that they know and the things that they've seen and, and uh, just talking baseball. Some of the members, and I, you know, like, I, like I told you in, in doing some research for, for talking to you, you know, some of the names I uncovered, Bob Costas, Keith Olbermann, Rob Nyer, who's, whose work I really enjoy. What's the criteria for, for being a member of Sabre? Uh, paying your dues. Uh, and, uh, That's a good and, one. and being a respectable human being, those, those, if, if you can clear those two hurdles, uh, you too can be a Sabre member. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, we are fortunate. You, you said it right. Um, you know, I do, I do actually a, a podcast with Rob every week. Uh, it's really his show. Uh, it's actually called Sabrecast with Rob Nyer. Uh, mm -hmm. and he does, he does a great one-on-one -on -one interview, uh, every week, and then I jump on at the end, and, and we talk about sort of current events and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So if you're listening to uh, to this show, check out Sabercast as well. Um, but you know, it we we've just been fortunate. Um, the organization has has really always stood for being really open with information, um, keeping keeping data flowing from point to point and allowing people access to things. Um, you know, some of our databases are at the root of some of the things that baseball fans consume every day. So, you know, we, we've got a, um, we have a biographical database that is used by baseball reference. Um, you know, if you, if, if you get to the bottom of a player page on baseball reference, you'll eventually find the, the credit to Sabre for, uh, some of the things we've contributed. Um, we also, we also have, um, the, the original home run database, uh, for all of professional baseball, um, which is the basis upon which all other home run databases have, have since been built. Um, you know, and, and we keep those things very, very open and available. Um, and, you know, we're all, everyone in baseball, whether you're a fan or you actually work in the industry, like the two of us are fortunate enough to do, um, has utilized Sabre and Sabre's work in some way. And oftentimes you just don't realize it. Uh, and, you know, it's just, that's led to us being um, a little bit of that light for people to congregate around. And, and uh, you know, we're fortunate that some of the higher profile folks in the industry have wanted to be a part of that as well. That's so cool. So anybody could be a member, right? I mean, it sounds like that you don't. So if you're well, listening uh, to this podcast right now and they, and they want to, you know, they, they can pay their dues and they're a respectable human being. Yeah. How can, how can they sign up? That's right. So you just go to saber.org and there's a great, there's a great page uh, that we've labeled community and, uh, and you'll find your way. Um, you know, we've got a, we have a great chapter. Uh, we have a lefty old duels chapter in the, in the Bay area. I'm sure some of your listeners are out there. They're a wonderful active chapter led by uh, Marlene Vogelsong. 
And, uh, and then we've got a chapter in Sacramento, uh, which is just north of you guys. Uh, it's actually the Dusty Baker chapter, uh, led by, uh, led by Sacramento a, native. Yeah, exactly. Um, by the name of uh, Zach Ford is the, is the chapter leader there. So um, those, those folks will definitely, you'll definitely be in good hands with, with Marlene or Zach if, uh, if you were to sign up. What are some projects that you guys have been working on lately or, you know, maybe that have been published or whatever lately uh, that, that you're particularly proud of or that may be particularly interesting to you? Yeah. Um, so we, just this year, um, we, are, we celebrated our 50th birthday uh, this August. Uh, and so we published Sabre 50 at 50, uh, which is an anthology of what we deem to be our 50 most influential and important pieces of baseball research that we've published in the last 50 years. Um, it's a pretty dense book. Um, you, if, uh, when you're not reading it, you could use it for a set of curls if you want. Um, <laughs> hey, people but, are on the lookout for dumbbell yeah. type of things right now, man. It's, I know they're in short supply. Right. It's dense, but it is not, um, but it is not difficult. Uh, okay. so it is something that you could breeze through each chapter is a different article. So it's definitely something you can pick up and put down at your leisure. Uh, but it's also a great introduction to the work that Sabre's done and the sorts of things that you yeah. could expect to see in future Sabre publications. So I think you've kind of touched on it, but what is the relationship between, or maybe I guess Sabre metrics that was derived from Sabre, but what is the, like connect the dots there for me. If you yeah. Can. So, um, in the early days of Sabre, um, many of the members were interested in the value of traditional statistics or the lack of value in traditional statistics. Uh, and, and also just questioning uh, ideas that you would hear espoused on a broadcast, right? And I, I'm sure you will, you will understand this very well. Um, you know, for example, you hear, you hear a broadcaster or you used to hear uh, I think uh, broadcasters talk about this idea of being a good clutch hitter. What does that mean? Well, it means you came through in a high leverage situation. Um, but actually one of the things that you can, you could read um, in Sabre 50 at 50 is an article by Dick Kramer, um, which brings forward in the 19, I think eighties, don't quote me on that for sure. Uh, the idea that it's not a repeatable skill. The, the idea that you can hit um, at an average above your normal just because it's a high leverage situation and that you could do that repeatedly um, is not true. Um, and so it was ideas like that, that within the group, they started to bring forward these, these, these things that were questioning norms um, and, and bringing forward new ideas about value um, that led Bill James to say, well, we have saber, these are sabermetricians. Um, and out of that, sabermetrics uh, became a term that was coined by Mr. James. Um, and so we, we, have a, we have a close relationship um, based on the history of our organization and it's something that we've carried forward. Uh, today, we have every year during spring training, we have the Saber Analytics Conference, uh, which is very cutting edge research presentations um, where researchers are bringing forward new ideas. Uh, I've seen some things about the shift uh, that are astounding 
the yeah. idea that maybe you should play three left fielders against certain hitters. Uh, things, things that you just, on the surface, seem like you should reject, and yet maybe they have some validity, right? Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're continuing to do what we can to, uh, to remain involved in the analytics community. It's it's amazing. I mean, it we could go down this rabbit hole, Scott, and and be in there for months talking about some of the analytics you're 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 speaking of. I mean, it's just the the playing of three left fielders like that's something that would seem so foreign, like ten fifteen years ago. But shoot, teams have played four man outfields. Four man outfield. We've a seen few, it a few years now. We've seen it quite a bit. It it really is amazing to me that. And maybe we're we're going to get to a point where hitters start to to combat that a little bit by changing their approach, uh, just to take a base. I mean, we we kind of see it play up in the playoffs, right? I mean, where where maybe some of the teams put the ball in play a little bit more or what have you, uh, rather than the three yeah. true outcome teams. Well, last I mean, last night I'll I'll give an example. We saw um, we saw DJ LeMahieu hit earlier in the game, and the Rays played him straight up, and yeah. you know just talked about. You know that that now is like the biggest term of respect that you can have is they don't they don't move anybody, and then he came up later, and they actually shifted him to pull. And what did he do? He just hit a cue ball into right field for a single. He just took he just took exactly what was there. And and Lemayhu is a very rare hitter in today's game. Um, yeah. You know, but but was a much more common hitter uh, twenty years ago. And yep. so, you know, do, do we see the pendulum swing back the other way? Possibly. I think it's far more likely we see other changes um, that dictate that pendulum swing. I read a quote a couple of years ago, Scott, that said the best way to beat the shift is to hit it over the shift. Just hit it over everyone's head over the fence. And then you don't have to worry about the shift anymore. But you bring up DJ LeMahieu, like I just watched the – the entire A's Astros series where Michael Brantley is a guy like that. You can't shift against that guy. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, we, we see this all the time, right? Where the pendulum shifts to an extreme one way and eventually it'll come back to combat that. I, I just think it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, you know, the challenge is though, the, the pitchers, the pitchers are ahead and yeah. uh, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, um, hit anything when it's moving a hundred miles an hour, let alone hit right. it in a specific direction. So, yeah. uh, so we'll see, we'll see. It just feels like most good teams have a guy like that in their lineup somewhere. Like LeMayhew kind of ties that Yankees lineup together for me. Like Brantley ties the Astros lineup together for me. And for you A's fans, like I thought Tommy LaStella was an excellent pickup because he kind of does something different than the rest of their lineup does. Uh, so I guess it's not completely dead. I mean, it's a long way of saying, I guess it's not completely dead, but they do shift for a reason, right? I mean, the numbers tell the story. Yes. And that's, that's what sabermetrics is all about. Correct me if I'm wrong there. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so just, just to, uh, cap this off, Scott, uh, how did you end up at Saber and what attracted, uh, you know, what, what was attractive to you about, uh, being with a company like Saber? Yeah. So uh, prior or nonprofit, I should say. No, I get, I get it. Uh, so pr- prior to uh, joining Sabre, uh, I was most recently the senior vice president of uh, business development and marketing for the Gold Claim Group, which is an ownership group uh, mm-hmm. that includes 
the St. Paul Saints, Charleston River Dogs, uh, among among a couple others. Hudson um, Valley Renegades is another one. Right? Hudson, Hudson, there you go. The Hudson Valley. I, I did my research right that time. There you go. I, well, I didn't. I didn't want to keep rattling off uh, team yeah. names while uh, while folks were uh, listening. Anyway. Um, well, I, oh, I real quick, I I just I, I screwed up the Saber.com thing earlier, so I just wanted to let you know that I actually did try and do a little bit of research correctly. <laughs> uh, all good, all good. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I I I'd been um, I'd been with the Gold Claim Group, and we had had really great success in St. Paul, and we'd also um, had some really really great strides in Charleston. Um, but the opening uh, came about in Sabre and, you know, it really spoke to me because of the sense of community that uh, exists inside of the organization. And, um, you know, that, that was always one of my favorite things about working for a minor league team was, you know, you got mm -hmm. to know the season ticket holders um, as people. Um, yeah. and, and that's not something that, you can replicate everywhere. I, I don't. I don't think you replicate that a lot in Major League Baseball. Um, and at the same time, uh, Saber as a nonprofit has, as any business does, has its own challenges um, to take on and and find new growth strategies and, and ways to expand. And um, those were the sorts of things that uh, were really attractive to me, and I, I wanted to embrace that challenge and, and be part of something that you know I respected from for a long time, albeit from a bit of a distance. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that those were the reasons why Sabre felt like a great thing for me. And, and uh, I actually just celebrated my two year anniversary, I think today, it was this week for sure. But Oh, I, wow. I Congrats. We had you on the right day. I know, right? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been it's been a really, really cool and fun two years. And, and uh, you know, I'm excited to see what the next the next few have in store. No, Dad, sounds so interesting. I mean, I was able to do a little bit of research, like I said, on about the organization. But hearing you uh, describe it, it I was able to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame for the first time this summer, um, and uh, which was kind of a crazy, like they, you know, they just opened back up. But hearing you describe all the different areas, I felt like I was going to all the different wings of the Baseball yes. Hall of Fame. Yes. You know, it's just it, it's such a cool community, uh, and they they feel kind of. I guess, you know, I mean, they're obviously in the same silo being in baseball, but maybe a little bit tied together uh, just in, in terms of kind of representing every single piece of baseball, not just Major League Baseball, but right. the independent leagues, women in baseball, yes. like like you were talking about. It's just so cool. And it, it, like I said, it takes me back to that. Uh, and it's just I, I can see why it would appeal to you being in, in, in an organization like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and, and I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of what the experience is like to be in it. Um, you know, you you have the opportunity to dabble. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's it's not one lane. It's uh, it's dozens, and that's a lot of fun. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Scott Bush, I know, I know game five is going on right now. We both have to get to that. Uh, but I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time to join me, man. It's been a really fun conversation. Next time you're in Stockton for a game. Uh, you know, whenever that is, please come by the booth. I'd love to have you on. Absolutely, absolutely. It'll be uh, it'll be like a, like riding a bike. So yeah, just just like riding a bike. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Well, again, Al. again, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You got it.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home anchor.fm slash Stockton dash ports. You can also visit the ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.